everyone. Welcome back to Pie in the Red Sox, bloggingtheredsox.com podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Campbell. And today, I'm happy to be joined by a very special guest, Red Sox area scout Danny Watkins, who covers Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee for the team. Uh, Danny, thank you for joining me today. How's it been going, uh, getting back to the swing of things and watching high school and college baseball in person? Uh, it's, it's, well, it's been a very busy spring so far. Um, you know, we had quite a bit of time last spring uh, where we were uh, kind of homebound and doing a lot of work on video, and and uh, it's, it's uh, started to loosen up a little bit with the summer, with the high school tournaments still going on. But uh, we're we're back at full speed now, which it's a it's a great feeling. And um, just like before, I really begin. Would you say like the claim to your fame is Mookie Betts discovering him? Mookie's, Mookie's probably the most noted player uh, that that my name is associated with. Um, I did not draft him. <clears throat> I did not draft him. The Red Sox drafted him, but I was the area scout and uh, probably probably the most the most notable. We also drafted Hunter Renfro in high school, which is now with the Red Sox, and uh, been a, been a few others. Of course, there's there's been a few that we've signed that uh, haven't quite panned out either. And just for the listeners who might not uh, be too familiar, what exactly is um, an area scout does for a major league baseball team? Well, essentially, we're kind of the, um, you know, we're the first wave. There's several layers above us. Uh, There's cross checkers. There's national cross checkers. There's special assignment uh, goes all the way up to scouting director. But uh, we essentially are responsible for, for getting that first look on a prospect, kind of ringing the bell and, and making sure the, the, uh, the other guys, the real decision makers, you know, come in and, and uh, get their evaluations as well. And I saw you used to coach college baseball. So um, how would that experience, uh, how did that experience shape uh, how you are as a scout today? Well, it, I, I really enjoyed my, my time as a coach. And uh, one of the things that it helps me with is understanding the psyche and the, and the attitude and the mindset of the current day college player. I also have some experience in learning, you know, what type of adjustments are possible and what type of adjustments aren't. In other words, there's some things we can fix as a player development staff can fix and others that you can't, you know, as a coach, as a frustrated coach there several times, uh, I've learned that uh, there's certain things about uh, some ball players that you just you just kind of have to work with, even though fundamentally you might think they're wrong. You just you let the player be himself, and um, you know, as as a scout, uh, we always see the flaws in players as as well as the potential upside. But uh, learning which flaws uh, can be worked with and and which ones can't is is pretty 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 important. Uh, you used to coach in Texas, correct? I, I coached 18 years at different levels in, in Texas, uh, junior college uh, and at uh, Division One. All right, so this is kind of a random question. Like, I don't think you had, like, a direct relationship with this player, but you were talking about not being able to, like, correct fundamental things. So would, like, Hunter Pence, a Texas native, be a good example of that? Well, he came along after I, after I was out of Texas. Um, but... Um, you know, there's certain things about a guy like Hunter Pence 
that you just have to have to learn to deal with. Uh, if a guy's been doing, if a player's been doing something since he was five years old, four years old, chances are there's, you know, there's certain things you're just not going to have to, you're, you're not going to be able to correct. And uh, in certain cases, like a hundred pence, in the end, you really didn't want to correct him because that's who, that's what made him Hunter Pence. And just in terms of like, do you think like overcorrecting can be a, uh, a problem too? Say like a guy like Andrew Benintendi, he has, he was like a natural swinger out of college, but uh, kind of struggled this time with the Red Sox due to different adjustments. Do you think uh, over adjusting can be a problem too? Well, uh, there, there's some, it just depends on the player's personality. Um, some players enjoy playing three-dimensional chess and other players enjoy playing checkers. And you just got to learn uh, each individual and uh, what, what helps them and uh, what they're able to process and uh, what they want to process. And, and a lot of times uh, guys don't want to hear all the, all the, uh, they want to know, they don't want to know how the sausage is made they just want to eat the sausage and other guys enjoy delving into the the finer mechanics of different things it just it really just depends on the player's individual personality i think this is a good segue into my next question which is a kind of a two part question but how has the scouting landscape changed over the years with more of an emphasis on technology and analytics well i mean when i first started scouting we sent we sent in our expense reports through the mail. Uh, we didn't use cameras. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. And so it has evolved quite a bit. All, the, all of the new technology is certainly valuable tools in the decision-making process. And you hope that they, they allow you to make more accurate or, or better decisions in the long run. But uh, you, you've got to be aware of them. And at least in some cases, they can help explain why some players have been successful, other players maybe have not. Maybe some players have overachieved for certain things that the technology has been able to pick up. You know, Mookie Betts took our, um, took our, uh, um, our test on the computer and scored off the charts. And uh, I didn't, <laughs> a little note, uh, I didn't know how he had done because our people didn't want that to influence my grading. They wanted me to grade in the traditional way, but at the same time, they had the information that Mookie had done particularly well on our test. And so, you know, there's a marriage uh, of the two. You can mesh the, the two. Uh, traditional scouting, the old, uh, the old lawn chair and, and stopwatch and just watch the player. And, uh, and the new, new wave, the technology, uh, they, they, have to, they have to work together. And uh, I think, I think with the Red Sox, we we are finding a good balance. And just how has the scouting land landscape changed in the past year alone due to the pandemic? Well, I mean, there were certain adjustments that needed to be made. Obviously, um, we're one of the biggest ones is we haven't been allowed to have in person visits with players or families by the commissioner, and that's that's a part of my job that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed getting into the living room or, or meeting with a college player individually and, and really, you know, talking to them and trying to get to know their, their makeup and their psyche. And uh, we can replace that with zoom zoom calls, but um, it's not the same. It's not the same. I, that's the one thing that I miss 
the most about scouting today versus uh, a year ago was the ability to have that that in-home visit, that one-on-one, face-to-face uh, conversations. That's that, those. That's the biggest thing in my in my mind. So, like, was it more pressure on yourself when you were having these Zoom calls with guys like Casey Cobb or um, Blaze Jordan last summer? Well, um, you know, I had already done my in-home with with Blaze. Uh, we had we had had a few discussions, so. It, the earlier, as a scout, you wanted to have those visits uh, or discussions as early as possible. And so I had I had, had my first uh, family type meeting with with Blaze's uh, family. I had had that the summer before his senior year. So the relationship had already begun. It's it's this year's draft guys that um, that uh, in some cases I visited with them while they were in high school. Uh, and so there is some familiarity uh, with them, uh, with me, but, um, you know, a lot of, in, in some cases, I've been limited to just the Zoom calls and it's, it's, it's a different feel. Uh, it's, it's, it's a replacement, but it's not, it's not the same. And when you're doing these in-house, in-home visits with families, are you doing like your best Nick Saban impression or what's that process like? <laughs> uh, well, y- y- there's a lot of, there's a lot of miscommunication. There's a lot of, um, things out there that families just don't understand about professional baseball. And, and you try to put their mind at ease that, um, no, your, your 18 year old son is, is not going to be just cast out into the world. There will be some structure. There will be some supervision. You know, he won't have to go to class every day, but that doesn't mean he's going to fill that time with whatever he wants. And so there's, you know, there's certain misconceptions about uh, professional baseball that you try to, you try to put the parents' mind at ease. And one of them is that uh, professional baseball, for some reason, means that you won't be able to pursue a college degree. And I can assure you that that is, that is not the case. We just, we ask guys to get their degree when they're, when they're 27 or 28 years old, instead of when they're 21 or 22. And um, yeah, it's um, yeah, that's, that's, that's something I really tried to drive home when I was, when I was in those visits. Right now, I would assume scouting and preparing for this summer's draft takes precedence, but how much of your day-to-day also involves scouting for uh, upcoming drafts, like in 2022 or 2023? You know, one of the questions I get asked when I go to a ballpark, like last night, for example, was, okay, who are you here to watch? You identify yourself as a scout or they recognize you as a scout and they'll, and they'll come over and invariably they'll ask, okay, who are you here to watch? And, you know, honestly, I'm there to watch everybody. I saw a 10th grade shortstop last night while I was uh, watching a high school game that I'm going to, I'm going to make a note of, and I'm going to continue to follow and just see, you know, see how he progresses. The earlier I can identify someone that I want to follow, uh, it gives me more conviction when it comes time, you know, to whether, when it comes that, that player's draft year. And you talked about Blaze Jordan um, and your conversations with him leading up to the uh, 2020 draft. Was it difficult to convince him to sign with the Red Sox as opposed to honoring his commitment to Mississippi State? Well, and, and that's another thing that people always, um, when they find out what I do for a living, they'll say, oh, you recruit for the Red Sox. 
and I'll, you know, I'll say, no, I, I spent 18 years recruiting as a coach. Uh, what I do is I offer the possibility. And when, when you start having the conversations with the younger players, the high school players, uh, you'll get a sense for just how anxious they are to, to begin a pro career. They all want to play in the major leagues one day. And that's a, that's a great goal for guys to have. And honestly, college is the better route for some. But uh, you'll, you'll, you'll start to kind of get a feeling or you'll gauge their level of interest in, in wanting to start a pro career as an 18-year-old versus as a 21-year-old. And, you know, in the end, if I have to talk a guy into signing a pro contract, then it's probably not the right thing to do. You talk about younger guys, but what about a guy like Steven Scott, who um, I believe was a junior at the time of his drafting out of Vanderbilt? What were your conversations like with him? Well, you know, Vanderbilt players are, are unique. They're, they're all uh, uh, very intelligent. Uh, they have a clear vision of, of who they are, uh, not only as a person, but as a player. Uh, they're a little bit more mature than, than most. Um, it, I just enjoyed talking to Steven about his days as a football player and how that helped him uh, become a better baseball player. We talked about his time as a, as a catcher and how much he enjoyed playing that position. Just, just basically, you know, trying to get to know the, the kid's psyche and his background and just what kind of mental approach he'll bring to, a, to an everyday job like playing minor league baseball. And I believe he was drafted as an outfielder, but it sounds like you envisioned him playing everywhere, like a first base or catcher. Well, um, the year before when he was also eligible for the draft, I turned him in as a catcher because – he, he was the catcher for Vanderbilt. And, you know, Vanderbilt, uh, like a lot of colleges, they're just trying to put the best nine on the field. And so the year we drafted him, he ended up not catching as much. And so he's, he's a versatile athlete, uh, certainly not a middle-of-the-field type defender, but a guy that can play a couple of different positions, which, which can only add value, especially in today's game. Just comparing Blaze Jordan to other guys, like Blaze was obviously more hyped up. So I'm just curious, like, how does the process uh, for scouting guys like that compare to scouting guys like who were drafted later, like Stephen Scott, Dylan Hardy, Adam Lau? Well, you you try very hard not to pay attention to the hype. You try to take every individual uh, on their own merits and and make your own mind up based on experiences that that you've had as a scout. Blaze was a, a very young high school senior. In fact, he, he reclassified to graduate a year early. Uh, that's an exciting thing for a scout to think about uh, getting the younger player into a system, gives him more, gives our people more time to, to try to develop. Um, he was an extremely mature 17 year old, uh, a kid that, um, I didn't much worry about uh, him being away from home for the first time. He seemed like he had had experiences uh, in his life that prepared him to be on his own a lot more than most 17-year-olds. 17, 17 uh, Blaze was a very mature, uh, very mature player, and I, I, uh, I was particularly encouraged by that. So even though you said, like, you ignore the hype, when that helped like play into the fact that he was like more independent, given the fact he's been like in the spotlight since he was like 13 or 14. Well, being in the spotlight since you were 13 or 14, um, guys can handle that 
a couple of different ways. And uh, Blaze handled it in a way that I thought was very good. In other words, he didn't see that as an end, but uh, instead as a beginning. And there's a lot of guys that enjoy that early success and feel like uh, they're, they're at the end of their road. And Blaze, Blaze was a guy that uh, I think he kept it, he kept it in proportion and, and understood where he ultimately where he wanted to end up. This next thing I'm going to ask you about isn't in the organization anymore, but uh, would you mind discussing what went into the process of scouting and signing Bryce Brents? Because he was someone I enjoyed watching when he was with the Red Sox. I tell you, um, Bryce was a guy that, um, that had phenomenal tools, uh, tremendous bat speed, and uh, from afar was uh, just a very, very tough competitor. Uh, talked to the coaches, uh, other teams' coaches, opponents' coaches. They all concurred and, and reinforced that, that opinion. But what really sent me over the top with Bryce was when I was able to sit down with him uh, in the coaches' offices at Middle Tennessee State and uh, really got to know him in, in our time there together and, and um, just, just really impressed me with how, how dedicated he would be to being as good a player as possible. Uh, really, really enjoyed getting to know Bryce. I felt like I was, I felt like I was talking to a major league player that, that night. And, uh, and then of course, watching him in the, in the following spring, just confirmed what I thought were his best tools. And, um, you know, the, the, the ability to have tools is one thing, but, uh, being able to use those tools is something else. And Bryce was able to use those tools and, uh, it's unfortunate um, his career didn't quite work out the way I, I thought it would, but um, I'm very, very proud of Bryce and what he was able to achieve, uh, even though he fell short of what, what I thought and what a lot of people thought were, were his high-end expectations. And uh, how much communicating like during the scouting process would you say you do with like the higher ups at the of the Red Sox? Like I know you mentioned getting in contact with the cross checkers, but like anyone from like baseball operations or player development, someone like that. No, you know, uh, in fact, we've started having some Zoom calls now <clears throat> with player development, and uh, there's certain things that they get a different perspective on these players. Uh, we scout them and then they coach them or develop them. And um, sometimes they're going to see the things that we missed as scouts. They're going to see, you know, almost immediately. And so when they can see what we've missed, there's a good chance that they can help us not miss those things. If, if the two sides can communicate player development and scouting uh, for all 30 teams. Uh, there seems to be different levels of, of, um, of, of barrier. And, and I think with us, our, our player development staff and our scouting staff work together as well as you can. And, um, you know, there's just, there's certain things about scouting that, that we don't understand about player development. And there's things about player development that we don't understand as scouts. And, um, you know, the, the more we can communicate, the better. And our Zoom calls are, are, are geared towards help bridging that. And what would you say the key differences are between being an uh, area amateur scout such as yourself or a pro scout? Well, <clears throat> pro scouts' decisions are, are 
are usually determined to be right or wrong fairly quickly. Uh, they're more involved in, in trades and, um, and free agent signings, whereas our influence on the organization may not manifest itself for, you know, three or four or sometimes even five years, whereas their decisions uh, can make a difference in a pennant race today. And so there's a lot more pressure for them to be accurate right now. Whereas, um, you know, we've all, all amateur scouts have had, have signed players that, uh, you know, didn't work out, but it took three, two, three or four years for that decision to end up being wrong. So uh, it, there's a lot more, there's a lot more immediate need for, for uh, a pro scouting to be accurate. And you mentioned Bryce Brent going into uh, Middle Tennessee State because, as I mentioned before, Tennessee is one of the states you cover, which would obviously include Vanderbilt. So uh, my next question is, what have you made of Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter so far? Well, uh, I'll be just as honest as I can. Both of those guys are phenomenal talents, uh, have many differences, but they're so similar in some ways as well. You know, we're sitting there at four uh, in this year's draft, and the thought of having uh, one one of them available at four is is pretty nice. But um, you just you just never know. Uh, as the area scout, I can tell you, it's very easy to get caught up in the in who that that pick at number four is. But uh, my chance of having real influence on the organization comes throughout the draft, not not just in that first pick. And what do you think the key differences are between drafting guys out of college and high school? Like I think you mentioned before with Blaze, Jordan, other guys, but what do you think the key differences are there? Well, you know, every player um, at some point reaches their what we call ceiling. In other words, you're as good as you're going to ever be. And some players reach that point when they're 18 years old. Other players reach that point when they're 28, 29 years old and they're at their peak of their career. And so what we try to do is we try to measure, okay, when is this guy going to peak or is he at his peak now? And, um, you know, a college player is much closer to his ceiling than a high school player. And so as an, as an amateur scout, it's exciting when you can see the high school player and really dream on what he could be. Whereas with the college player, you know that the age and the calendar is clicking away and they're getting closer to their ceiling. And so there's less, less temptation to really jump on the tools and really project them up higher. They're, they're just, they're a lot closer to who they're, who they're going to be. And with guys like Leiter and Rocker, does the fact that they play in the SEC, like arguably the best college baseball conference, um, does that like uh, give them more of an advantage, I guess? Well, I, I like watching, watching these players play at all levels. And certainly, certainly having coached in the SEC and now having scouted it for several years, I mean, it, it's a very talented group of players. And, and the, the schedule in the SEC is just a relentless schedule. There's, <clears throat> there's not one weekend where a team can – can let their guard down. Just ask Auburn. They got swept by Ole Miss this past weekend. But I, I, I think a player's total package 
how they've done, say, with Team USA or how they've done in Cape Cod or how they've done, it, it all matters. It, it all matters. And, of course, you know, you like to you like to see a guy have success in the SEC. That's certainly that's certainly not a mark against them. But um, we try to see these guys in all different settings. And um, if if a player is the type of player that plays down to the level of competition, or if he's able to raise his his level of play based on the competition, those are all things that you you want to pay attention to. I don't know. Maybe you can explain this to me. How come some uh, college guys can enter the draft after their sophomore years, while others have to wait till their, uh, after their junior year? Well, it becomes a question of being age eligible. And there are some occasions where a second-year college player reaches the age of 21 within 45 days of the draft. And the rule is, if you're 21 within 45 days of the draft, you're eligible. And so... You know, typically you start paying attention to that when a, when a player's in high school and you have access to their date of birth, you can anticipate, okay, this guy's going to be eligible when he's a sophomore. And so, you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a rule set by MLB that if you're, if you're 21 years old within 45 days of the draft, then you can be eligible even as a, even as a sophomore. And just with that difference in experience with like a rocker being a junior and Larry being a sophomore, does that change the way you view them? Not to me. Uh, not to me. I, 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 age is a factor in all these players that I, that I scout, but um, you know, whether a guy's 21 and eight months or, or 20 and 11 months at, I, I really I don't get too caught up in that. Now, if there's a if there's a big difference, like with uh, Blaze Jordan, who's 17 at the draft, uh, versus a 22 year old college senior, then yeah, there you know that 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 begins to make a difference. But in terms of uh, with with the two guys that you mentioned, um, no, it it really really wouldn't make that much difference. And what about the fact that Lider comes from a baseball family, like his uncle and dad played in the majors, and they say those kids who like grow up in big league clubhouses kind of have the edge if they uh, become a pro? Well, they're certainly much more familiar with the lifestyle, but you got to remember, um, I don't think Jack – Jack was a baby right at the tail end of his dad's career, and so he really wasn't that exposed to his dad as a major leaguer. And – you know, certainly he's aware that his dad was a major leaguer and, and can easily look up, you know, his dad's records. But um, I think I think having a parent that played in the major leagues like that, I think is um, I think it helps more in terms of the player's younger development, where the father maybe is able to keep things a little more in perspective when he's 10 years old or 11 years old or 12 years old. And, um, and, and just, you know, it's that perspective that a parent has that, um, you know, to, to keep the, to keep the, the child or the, the younger player on a level on, on an even keel. Uh, I think, um, I think that's beneficial. One thing that people uh, don't realize about Mookie was that he had an uncle playing in AAA in Nashville and so he spent a lot of time with his uncle. Uh, and so he was very familiar with clubhouses and, and uh, the, you know, the lifestyle. 
you mentioned this earlier about how the pandemic has uh, forced you to stay away from these guys off the field. So um, how have the Zoom calls with these prospects gone? And like, have you been able to get to know them on the same level, or is it more difficult to do that? Well, we've done the best we can. Uh, for, for me to say it's the same level would be wrong. I certainly have my opinions based on these Zoom calls, but, um, but it, the, the, the uh, level of confidence I have in that is, is down a little bit. You know, I, I think I know, but I'm not as sure as I would have been if I had been able to, to sit down and look at them face-to-face across a, across a coffee table or at a, at a dining room table. And say there's a guy uh, like you help uh, you sign or not sign, but uh, you were, you scout out of high school. He decides to sign and sign with a college instead. How much uh, do you pay attention to that player still, even when he's in college? Oh, <laughs> all the time. Uh, yeah, I um, we drafted a player a couple of years ago that decided to go to the University of Tennessee. And every night when I turn on my computer, I get back to the room and I turn on my computer. I look to see how he did that day even though he's, he's not in my area anymore. And unless he transfers or my area changes, I won't be able to draft or I won't be the scout that drafts him again. This next time. Uh, no, you follow this guy. I think that's one thing that players really don't understand. Sometimes is just how invested that scout is in, in your performance, whether it's the guys you sign or it's a guy from your area that someone else signed uh, the area scout is, is very much invested in, in how they do. We, uh, we follow, we follow every day, uh, the box scores and the game reports and, and, uh, uh, these players, these players are guys that you, that you never forget. And, uh, you know, they just, they're, they're guys that stick with you, especially the ones that you've been able to develop that personal relationship with and, and like, you know, you like them, you want to pull for them. That way you would done with Mookie if he went to Tennessee instead. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously, would have been disappointed. Uh, came down to midnight on uh, the final day to sign him, but uh, clearly would have you know we would have been disappointed. But uh, uh, a player in the very same draft, Sinquez Golson, went on to Ole Miss and played football and baseball at Ole Miss. Uh, Love. I actually ran into Sinquez a few times at at Ole Miss uh, baseball games and uh, had meetings with him uh, leading up when he was eligible for the draft again. And really enjoyed getting to know Sinquez and and maintaining that relationship over the next over the next few years. No, it's yeah, it's it's. I I can't always say it's a two way street, but uh, for me, I yeah, I, I there's a there's a relationship with those guys that that uh, that doesn't go away and how would uh, following them from high school to college compare to following the guy from junior college to a bigger school oh very similar very similar uh, I coached 13 years in junior college so the junior college mindset the junior college psyche is something I'm, I'm pretty familiar with and uh, I've got a soft spot for those guys they they eat peanut butter and jelly uh, they ride uh, 15 people in a 12-piece passenger van. They sleep four to a room on the hotel in the on the road trips in junior college. So uh, there's a certain level of grind that the junior college player goes through that uh, that I I, I can re- can appreciate. 
But, um, you know, the jump from junior college to, let's say, a, a, an SEC level is, is just as hard uh, as it is jumping from high school to, to SEC. That, that, that upper division, division one experience is just, you can't replicate it. And um, the mid-majors we have in, in my area have tremendous programs, uh, play, you know, have produced several major league players over the years. But, um, you know, moving from junior college to that division one level is, is still a jump, uh, even, even comparably to the high school player and junior college player. And I'm just talking about scouting players in general. Like if the Red Sox had their first pick, like in the late 20s, um, how much attention would you pay to like a guy at Vanderbilt, say, who's projected to go in the top five, like a Dansby Swanson, for example? You scout them. You, you scout them all. Now, as you start to wind down and get closer to the draft, you might not focus in on the guy that's that's liable to be a first five first first five picks. But um, but no, you scout them all. You, there's there's no reason not to not to scout anybody, uh, even if you think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to go, you know, way ahead of your first pick. You, you need to scout them. Now, when it comes comes time to, to focus in and you get closer to the conference tournaments, um, you, you, you might not, uh, you know, you might not focus in on that guy as much as someone else that, that you, that you think you have a, a much better chance of, of getting to your pick. So would you say that scope becomes broader now that the team has the fourth overall pick in this year's draft? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we let's let's say for example we didn't pick until 29 this year we would scout everybody on that team just as hard as we ever would now once we got into you know may certainly late april but into may we might not find the urgency to go and see them our scouting directors might decide you know what this guy's clearly not going to be there when we pick. So maybe I need to focus on another guy. But right now, at this point in the process, we would be scouting everyone just as hard as we possibly could. And this is the last question for me. But um, again, for like listeners who might not be too familiar with Rocker or Lighter, um, if you could, which major league pitchers of past or present would you compare each of them to? Oh, wow. Um, well, they both have their uniqueness to them. Um, and just based on my limited knowledge and my limited experience, uh, I compare I compare one to uh, maybe a Sonny Gray type. And the other would be, gosh, um, you know, just maybe um, – Oh, you you caught me you caught me off guard with that one. Let me think. Ah, I I I think one compares to Sonny Gray, and the other would. Uh, oh, who's the who's the pitcher that the Yankees signed away from the Astros? Was with the Pirates for a while. Garrett Cole. Yeah, Cole might be might be a fair comparison for one to uh, to look at him and think of Cole. 
and just chance to see lighters uh, no hitter in person over the weekend. I believe it was. No, I, I, I was not there. I was not there. I, I saw him the week before. What about Rockers no hitter back in 2019? Were you there for that, or that was I, the, the no, regionals? Uh, that was a regional game. Actually, it was a super regional, I believe, and um, I watched it on television. But uh, we were preparing for the draft at that point, and uh, we were we were at home. But we were, you know, we were definitely locked into our our teams playing in regionals. And just as a casual um, college baseball observer, such as myself, I feel like those two have brought a lot of excitement to the game of uh, college baseball. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I mean, excellence is fun to watch in any arena, and uh, those two guys are right now very close to the top of their game. And anytime you can watch someone perform their, their skill at, at that level, it's fun to watch. All right. Well, uh, Danny, I know you can't uh, show your hand too much more than you already have. So uh, thank you for coming on today and good luck the rest of the season. Brent, thanks a lot for having me and uh, go Red Sox. All right. Yeah. Happy scouting.